Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 209. Well, just ahead, a company you heard about here first on the Drill Down, Yext, is finally making hay in artificial intelligence. And lower freight expenses, cost cutting, and some store growth at an interesting niche retailer, Vera Bradley. And a heavy hitter in the shipping business, talking about the massive disruptions of the last year. Ardmore Shipping CEO joins us for an exclusive conversation. Anthony Gurney will be with us, but first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company, watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy to use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn. But click the subscribe button, follow us, and make sure you catch every show. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down Podcast. We're glad to have you so we can look at some business stories behind some stocks and a move. Isaac Webster, executive producer, is with me as always from Los Angeles. Isaac, glad to have you. Uh, glad to see you, Corey. Uh, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's go with one of our old friends, Yext. Yext, yes, an old friend. We uh, talked to the Yext CEO back in episode 195, published on March 8th, 2023. And Yext shares have shot straight up. It trades under Y-E-X-T. Yex shares have shot straight up within the last five trading sessions, rising 45%. Shares, shares have now gained 112% since the start of 2023 and risen 152% in a year. And I want to point out that uh, when the Yex CEO was our guest, when we spoke to him back in February, the stock was trading between $7 to $8. And now uh, Yex shares are above 13 Yeah, fantastic uh, move in that stock. Um, I think when the episode came out in March and March 8th, uh, yeah. the CEO yeah. told us, what's all this, what's all this excitement about uh, AI? We've been doing this for yeah. years. And uh, they came out with earnings today that while they were a little bit better than uh, maybe the estimates were, whatever the estimates were wrong, but revenues up only 1% to about a hundred million dollars um, uh, in a year over year basis for the quarter company earning nine cents a share of, you know, again, once you take out one time items, but generally really strong guidance and strong results after some cost cutting and and trying to uh, get the company back in its groove with its its newer CEO Michael Walrath um and uh he's having great success and yes the company is now seen as joining the ranks of the AI stocks out there it's hot uh on all on bubble TV and beyond and yex showing some results here although i thought when i listened to the conference call CEO Michael Walrath was kind of, I'm not backpedaling, but kind of tapping the brakes on all the AI excitement in their Yext chat that is a kind of an, a, a, a generative AI chat result. Um, and, uh, you know, the content generation stuff that they're doing, it's still kind of early for Yext. And Yext saying, yeah, we're working on this in a, as for an AI output, but this stuff is hard. We've seen the mistakes others have made. We're trying not to make them. Here's CEO Michael Walrath. The X chat is still in beta content generation. We, we just, just launched and, you know, we, we feel there's a lot to come in that area. Um, but clearly these are areas that companies are focused on figuring out how to make use of generative AI. Um, and, you know, as we've said, we've been in that business for 
you know, we've been heavily investing in that business the last five years. And so what I'm seeing in my conversations with customers is a tremendous amount of interest um, and, and the right amount of, you know, reticence also, you know, enterprises need to be careful with how they deploy these technologies. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of generative stuff showing up and smart, uh, smart management teams are thinking really carefully about this technology because we've, we've all seen there's, there's downside to it. Um, so, um, you know, when you, when you talk about, you know, outrunning the headwinds, um, I do think there are a number of opportunities for us there. One is, you know, we have not had, and I, you know, I think this is well understood, we've not had a highly tuned and highly efficient demand generation machine or a, a machine that converts uh, qualified demand as effectively as we'd like to bookings, and that's been the source of some of our frustrations on that side. So as we build that, um, versus uh, companies who have had really finely tuned uh, uh, go-to-market machines, we should have the ability to begin to outrun some of the macro headwinds. So put another way, you know, uh, the ability to outrun some macro headwinds, I think what he's saying is regardless of the economy, we're going to see growth in our AI offerings. Uh, and that was seen as a really positive sign for this company. Yeah, it's funny. The first time we talked to Yax a few years ago, um, I don't think we really understood how much AI was going to be a part of its bottom line. Yeah, and uh, um, just because we talked to you know, Manhattan twice, based company. It's form. Yeah, we talked to Howard the, Lerman, mm -hmm. the founder and uh, CEO, right. quite a while back. Um, he's off in Miami with a new with a new startup, uh, and uh, I hope he's uh, for his sake. He's still sitting a lot of those Yex shares because uh, the stock, as you mentioned, going up forty five percent. A fantastic move, uh, and you heard it here first. On the drill down, damn it. It's true. It's true. You would have heard it here first. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Vera Bradley. Vera Bradley. You're going to have to remind me exactly what Vera Bradley is. I know the name, but it trades under VRA. And shares have jumped 27% within the past five trading sessions, um, but are still lower by 3% if you're looking at a 12-month chart. So number one, what is Vera Bradley? I know, why do I know that name? So it's it's... Uh, because it's a it's a retail. Okay. If you've been to a shopping mall, you you know the the it's based in Indiana, but they've got fifty one full line stores and seventy nine factory outlets, um, uh, and they've got two brands: Vera Bradley and Pure Vita. Different stores, different digital experiences. They say they're kind of similar. I don't. I think know they Pure are, Vita, but well, yeah, well, I didn't realize they were connected. The Pure Vita stuff's it, it's it's more of a for a for a younger girls market bracelets and. And stuff, the Vera Bradley stuff is more handbags and accessories. Um, uh, and it, it's, it's a turnaround story and it's turning around. It's not a big company. It's 150 million, really smaller than just about anything we ever look at. I just saw the move in the stock and thought, what's going on with this retailer? And I was kind of surprised to see what's going on. So they had revenue about $95 million uh, in the quarter uh, and lost almost $5 million. Uh, but the company, the company's turnaround seems to be working. Um they also reaffirmed that they are going to their their annual outlet sale that they have every year, which they canceled in 2020, 21, and 2022, will actually happen this year. Um, and that's pro uh, they canceled because of COVID and uh, their inability to get goods to sell. Well, this year the sales on, and uh, that's seen as a really good big driver for business. I think that's one of the reasons the stock moves so much. But their Pure Vita, it's interesting. They their their digital experience or digital or online sales of Pure Vita are working great. They're not sure the stores are working great. So they're tapping the brakes there too. They're, they're not going to open as many stores uh, in Pure Vita as they had been planning on opening. And that looks like, you know, sometimes 
the massive store growth is a reason retail stocks go up. In this case, it's a re- not opening more stores that aren't working and, you know, stop, stop digging the hole deeper was rewarded by Wall Street. Here's the CEO, uh, Jackie Ardry uh, of Vera Bradley, kind of talking about what's going on in their channel and why maybe they're, they're not going to open as many Pura Vita stores because they don't think they've got the mix quite right. We are deep in that work. That's part of the, the, the channel pillar of pro- project restoration for both brands. Um, you know, the, our, our Pura Vita stores are, are working pretty well. Um, so, it, you know, it, but it's, it's really about right now pausing to, to be sure that we can deliver uh, the right strategic plan for the business. Um, so that's the only reason that we haven't um, continued opening Pura Vita stores. Um, but, uh, but I think you'll, you'll hear more from, from us um, at, you know, by the end of the year about our, our plans for stores. But uh, it, it's just really important that, again, right now we're focusing on the health of the, of the overall portfolio um, and making sure that we're making the right strategic decisions for store openings for both brands. So uh, that, that's the story of, of, of Vera Bradley, maybe more importantly, Pura Vita. And we'll keep an eye on that brand as they try to figure out their online and possible uh, bricks and mortar store expansion. Yeah, I'm looking at Pura Vita's um, Instagram page. It's uh, it cool, is cool. Right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's giving me teenager vibes, right? Yeah, it's more, of, it's more for the Taylor, Taylor Swift, Swift crowd. crowd. That's a good way to describe it, yeah. But you know, I'm all about the Taylor no, Swift aware. card now. I'm so. aware. Don't blame me. Blame the game. Hi, it's me. <laughs> I'm the problem. Well, it's we me. all know you are the problem. Corey, what's your next drill down? I want to look at Sienna. Sienna. Sienna Corp trades under uh, C-I-E-N-C-N. And shares have dropped over 7% in the past five trading sessions and are lower by 11% over the past 12 months. So what's going on with Sienna Corp? Well, so Sienna, uh, the giant networking firm, it's not quite Cisco. It's only about a $6 billion market cap, but still a a very big and important Mm -hmm. company in the world of networking uh, and networking equipment, software and services for um, uh, uh, telecom providers. So they companies that are delivering video and data and voice and whatever, they'll put Sienna boxes in for optical transport uh, in, in these big networks. And they saw their business, they reported an okay quarter, but boy, they saw their business, their guidance, um, uh, not what uh, had been hoped. They said that things aren't going to grow as fast as they had planned. So they had about a billion, uh, billion one in sales up 20% year over year, 19% year over year. Um, but they're saying the next quarter is going to be less, uh, closer to a billion. And for the fiscal year, they're saying the revenue growth, which had been pegged at about 21%, will be more like 20%. So business being pushed out, particularly in North American service providers. And I look at this company as sort of a temperature gauge for what's going on uh, across the computer networking uh, space. And maybe it's, it's confusing because, you know, we had these big numbers from NVIDIA last week. Was it last week, two weeks ago? And you had, uh, 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 you know, we see this big spending in the cloud companies spending on their infrastructure, but maybe companies not spend, uh, their cloud customers not showing up. So it was interesting to see, hear Gary Smith, who's a longtime CEO of Sienna, Talk about all the stuff that's happening. And maybe some of it, believe it or not, Isaac, is still an unwinding of COVID that when supply chains were uh, uh, so difficult to get the things you need, the customers would over-order. Maybe that over-ordering just isn't happening anymore. 
Well, it's a confluence of lots of things. Here's CEO Gary Smith. It's a confluence of elements. It's all of this stuff is suddenly coming at them, not just our equipment, but the broader sort of general technology industry. The, the supply chain challenges have been ameliorated and they're all kind of coming at once to them. And these carriers are dealing with both alignment to budgets, the logistical aperture that they have and deployment and absorption. So, you know, it's understandable, much the same as we saw with the cloud players that they're, you know, balancing, balancing this out. We are not seeing cancellations with them. I would also say we really haven't, you know, had any conversations around this being a macroeconomic caution. It's really one kind of to be expected around the whiplash effect of supply and supply and demand. So maybe it's not macroeconomic. Maybe it's individual things with these uh, with these customers of Sienna, but also uh, with the just the post-COVID world when or the, the COVID world when. Uh, that led companies to overorder to make sure they had anything. Now they're kind of unwinding that, and uh, that's an interesting segue. It is, but <clears throat> it really guests. is. And I, I want to point out, though, that this is, I guess, Silicon Valley's version of um, stocking up on toilet paper, right? Sienna Corp. Kind of. Yeah. It was. Now it's but not. yes, I ruined your segue. Uh, Sorry. No, the segue is still worthy. The the, the shipping business. Yeah. Uh Tremendous difficulty uh, because of the pandemic, but then tremendous difficulty in certain sectors of shipping because of the war in Ukraine and the Russian attack of Ukraine uh, and the resulting war uh, has led to a huge disruption in the global market for oil and natural gas. And the result has been that the shipping routes and the places oil is coming from and going to are really different than they were a couple of years ago. And it's affected few companies more than Ardmore Shipping. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk to the CEO of that company, Anthony Gurney, which we'll do right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust is how clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We're joined right now by Anthony Gurner. He's the CEO of Artemore Shipping, uh, which is an interesting shipping company. All the shipping companies uh, are, are interesting and different, and uh, yours especially. What's your focus of your business, and uh, in, in what, what do you ship, what don't you ship? Right, we're, we're a very specifically focused company. We ship um, refined oil products, so gasoline, jet fuel, diesel, uh, as, long, as, as well as uh, some commodity chemicals and vegetable oils. And we do that on a worldwide basis. How many ships are involved? So we have a fleet of 25 um, in, an, in a sector where the average fleet size is about five. Um, and the biggest player might have about 100. So we're a kind of a mid-sized uh, company in the sector. And exciting times uh, in the oil business with the embargo of one of the large, world's largest producers in Russia for the last year, thanks to the war in Ukraine or the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, we're not happy about the circumstances uh, and uh, it, you know, it's obviously affected us on a, on a lot of dimensions. Um, obviously it's, it's had a big impact on demand for our ships. Uh, and so, you know, the market's been treating us pretty well, but uh, um, we think that there are other, you know, economic um, uh, considerations as well, which are, you know, driving a stronger market. 
So let's 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 drill down on that a little bit because you know this is the drill down podcast. Um, I don't think I've ever said that in an interview before, even though we've done hundreds of episodes. Uh, you're the first. Um, uh, one of the things that we've seen in all shipping, interestingly, not just oil, is the distance of travel for every on average your average cargo is so much longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think uh, there's an ongoing trend in our business uh, where okay, maybe I can kind of explain where we fit into the logistics chain. Uh, so you know, yeah, oil comes out of a well crude oil, somehow it gets to a refinery uh, that could be either by pipeline or by ship. Um, then it goes through the refinery and then that either goes by kind of truck or by ship to the destination or, you know, where the market is. So we we actually fill that space from the refinery to the customer. And uh, it, it's a very complex global business. Uh, and uh, we pretty we the way we describe our business um, is uh, that we're essentially taxi cabs. Uh, for oil majors and oil traders um, and chemical companies. So they'll have a cargo that uh, they're, let's say their cargo is coming out of a refinery in Rotterdam and they'll um, load it on one of our ships. And then once we get underway, they'll tell us where they're going, where where we need to go to discharge it. So um, it's that dynamic. Get it out of our refinery quickly. We'll figure out where it's going later. Well, what happens is the cargo is, you know, typically bought by an oil trader um, or the oil company itself producing it. We'll sell it while it's on the water. It's fascinating. Um, uh, what what does that mean in terms of sort of how far you are carrying the oil? Has that changed a lot with the war? Yeah. In so so what I was getting at is that um, that the refinery business has kind of evolved over over time, and now you find big refineries being built very close to the crude oil source, and so it means that there's a lot more refined product moving. And so for our business, it means that you know instead of uh, of a refinery in Europe shipping locally, you know, kind of coastal trade all of a sudden the refined product is coming out of the Arabian Gulf and going all the way to Europe. So in the aggregate distances have been gradually increasing. And then we've had a particular phenomenon because of the conflict with the Ukraine and the EU oil embargo, where instead of Russian refined products moving from the Baltic or the Black Sea into Europe on very short runs, that refined product oil is now going all the way to the Far East, let's say to India or to China um, or to Brazil. Uh, and and then the replacement cargo coming in uh, to Europe is coming from very far away as well, the Arabian Gulf, U.S. Gulf, et cetera. So, you, so you've taken what used to be one of the shortest runs of the business and you've replaced it with two really long runs. And that's obviously had a significant impact in overall demand. I'm going to have you define one of my favorite, favorite terms. I heard it more in your recent conference calls than I've heard it a lot, which is crack spreads. Talk to me about what is, what right. is a crack spread. It sounds kind of obscene, but it's pretty straightforward. So basically a crack spread <laughs> is, you know, if you kind of set up the ratio of barrels of refined product that come out of a crude oil barrel, uh, you you kind of look at futures and spot prices and you say, well, theoretically, if, you know, if the price of oil is X per barrel and it goes through the refinery and I'm going to get these proportions of diesel, jet fuel, gasoline, um, add that up. It's usually higher than the crude oil. It needs to be because of the processing cost. Uh, and then the difference is called a crack spread. And then the bigger the crack spread, um, it's an approximation for um, it's an approximation for it's essentially it's, a, a, it's what, essentially what a gross margin is, is making. It's a gross margin for a refinery, but it's a way to use markets right. to, a, to determine what it is. And and for those unfamiliar, um, mm-hmm. when when crude oil is refined. It, mm-hmm. it isn't just that the, the refinery is not choosing to make either 
jet fuel or gasoline or low sulfur waxy residue makes yeah. everything. So it's, they, they refer yeah. to them as higher and lower distillates. And the higher distillates are things like gasoline and the lower right. distillates are the kind of tarry substance that goes into making asphalt. But when, it, when yeah. crude oil is, is refined, it is sort of separated into four or five different, right. essentially four or five different products. Yeah, it's essentially a distillation and so, uh, process and then a further kind of cracking process. And, and refineries, you know, to a degree they can change, they can, you know, dial up for more gasoline or you know less gasoline but but that that's generally just within fairly tight bands and yeah so so what you end up with is uh you know a a specific you know production of you know various components and then they need to figure out where to sell that and 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 that's also interesting right sometimes there's a lot it was a big market for some of the 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 lower distillates that are used in you know construction and like i said asphalt and things and other yeah. places there's there's not much use for that that, that's correct. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting patterns is that Europe, because uh, I'm currently sitting in Ireland, uh, Europe, like, you know, like we like to drive diesel cars over here. So there's a lot of diesel consumption, but less gasoline. In the U.S., it's the opposite. So you see a lot of gasoline that moves from Europe to the U.S. East Coast, and you see a lot of diesel that moves from the U.S. Gulf uh, into Europe. Uh, so it's kind of a persistent trade, you know, because of the imbalances of what's produced in the refineries. So how has your business changed a lot in the last year? Well, I think one thing is that we've continued to see a recovery from the pandemic. Uh, you know, as as people have gone back to uh, air travel and driving more, et cetera, you know, demand has increased. And obviously that was, there was a big, big recovery in 2021 that continued through 2022. And that's continuing into 23 in particular with Asia and, and China. Of course, the other big factor is the Ukraine conflict where, you know, I described earlier you know, the impact that that the EU oil embargo, for example, has had on, you know, the, the demand for our ships based on the distance over which cargo is now moved. And all of it uh, essentially good for business is that you have lots more business and business at higher rates. Correct. Uh, I would say um, that's right. Uh, you know, again, it's a it's a it's a pure market and uh, it's supply demand driven and when demand goes up and supply remains the same, that typically, you know, uh, pushes rates up. Wow. You went to business school. That's super impressive. Um, so as, as you've seen that, uh, you know, I listened to your last conference call and, and you guys sounded like you were in a, that recent trends might, you know, a month or two here or there might not be great for you for, compared to the mm -hmm. prior month, but that mm -hmm. you're kind of sitting in a, in a nice spot right now. Yeah. So we we're clearly um, in a, in a, kind of a phase of elevated demand because of the war, but also because of the, you know, the fundamental recovery from the, from the pandemic that's ongoing. And that's offset a little bit by, you know, slower economic growth, um, you know, some concerns about, uh, you know, recession fears, et cetera. So we do feel that there are some kind of some headwinds. Um, um, however, when we look at the IEA forecasts and others, it does seem like, you know, leaving sentiment aside, it seems like, there should be a lot of incremental demand uh, coming in the second half of the year through essentially higher oil consumption. Um, and how far out do you have to sort of plan for that? I mean, in, in some industries, in retail, for example, they whatever's going to happen at Christmas time, their big season is pretty much baked in by June. Where are you yep. in the oil uh, the, in the uh, the refined product business? We we kind of we work uh, one voyage at a time. The voyage is typically around three weeks long. So uh, you know our our planning horizon is is very short term. We have to do other things with the ships, like periodic dry docks and if you're building ships, etc. When are they going to come out? But once they're in operation, 
you pretty much follow the market and you go from cargo to cargo. Uh, so, you know, obviously we're very interested in what we think next winter is going to, you know, um, you know, produce in terms of rates. Um, and we might try to geographically position ships leading up to that point, but, um, but it's, it's all optional, you know, it's, it's not, not anything that requires a lot of, you know, intensive forward planning. And in this time of high demand, you mentioned uh, when ships are being built, ships aren't being built, uh, whether it's whether it's chemical and oil tankers or it's uh, container ships or it's dry bulk ships, you name it. Uh, it's my understanding that things are just not being made right now at, a, at any sort of uh, uh, sustained pace. Yeah, that, that that's correct. I think um, I, I do think that the container sector is different. There's a lot of ordering that's taken place and continuing there. And that actually really works to our advantage because they're filling up the same shipyard berths that could be building tankers. Um, so the space is not there. The new building prices are higher. So for both dry bulk and tankers, the order books are quite low for a bunch of reasons. One of them is, you know, crowding out from containers and gas. Another one is that there are a lot of new regulations coming in, which we should probably talk about, um, and a kind of a change in the, uh, uh, you know, uh, essentially we're going to have to find ways to decarbonize the business and the regulations aren't clear. Therefore, people don't know what type of ship to build. And so there are a whole host of reasons, including that, why people are holding back right now from ordering. Yeah, and I want to get to that. Uh, but uh, so, uh, there's also, not only is there not a lot of construction in the, uh, as I mentioned, the dry bulk and in, 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 in the chemical and oil uh, ships that you guys deal with, but there's also, typically, there's a lot of scrap coming out, right? There are ships coming out yep. of, of, of service just because they're just too old to use anymore. Um, yep. uh, are you seeing that in it, or, or are they keeping things on the water longer because there aren't replacements available? To a degree, there's still scrapping going on, uh, but you know, you, you get to a point even with a very old ship that you know it just makes sense to to to, to move it on. In, in our sector, ships typically last around 25 years, um, and what will happen is you know that you know those those you know last few years of a ship's life would typically be in you know fairly marginal regional trades in a part of the world, and when it's time for them to you know scrap the ship, they'll then buy another one, uh, and then that'll have a knock-on effect. So. You know, we'll we'll typically sell ships when they get to about 15 years of age, and then they might trade hands one or two more times before they eventually get scrapped. So, um, so when rates are higher, typically you'll see scrapping activity going down, um, and that definitely has happened. But of course, it doesn't mean that those ships aren't going to eventually need to be scrapped. So you actually, you know, kind of build up pent up demand uh, for or you know requirement for scrapping when the market does come down. In other words, you get a lot of ships leaving fairly quickly. Sure. Does that mean that this might be a much longer cycle in your industry, which is usually incredibly cyclical? Yeah, look, I, you know, I've, I've been, I've been doing this for quite a while and I've been through five, maybe six cycles. And um, when you get into a strong market, people really begin to believe that it's going to be different this time, but in the end, it's always cyclical. And um, you know, I, but, but having said that, it does feel like we're in for at least a good two years, maybe three years. Um, given simply the fact that if you were to order a ship today, it's not going to deliver it for two or three years. Notwithstanding the fact that nobody's ordering, when they do start ordering, you're going to have that window. In the meantime, it feels like the global economy will recover. Um, as much as we regret the fact that war is, 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 is ongoing, um, even if the war were to end tomorrow, it uh, doesn't mean that the sanctions are going to be lifted right away. So we think there's some persistence there as well. So there's a, you know, there's a whole bunch of things lining up right now that would give us a degree of faith that we're going to be in a good market for a couple of years. Um, and, and, and probably yeah. all of shipping, right? Yeah, I think, um, 
you know, again, we have to separate the container market a little bit because they've been through such a whipsaw. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, but but if you think about the more of the, you know, the 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 bulk type businesses, dry bulk, wet bulk, it does feel like we're in for you know um, a good run for the foreseeable future, which in shipping means two to three years. Um, so let's now let's get to that ESG conversation and talking about um, what's going on with. Um, you know, the, 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 the so for, let me start with what is scrubber technology? Right. So um, a scrubber is a device that um, that that essentially cleanses the exhaust of sulfur dioxide. Uh, nice dog in the background there, uh, there for the way. Uh, so so a scrubber is something that 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 cleanses the exhaust coming out of the ship um, and essentially takes his, takes the sulfur dioxide out of the air before um, out, out of the exhaust before it enters the atmosphere and causes you know health and, and pollution problems um and and so uh, a lot of ships have now been equipped with uh, with a scrubber device which then essentially uh uses a essentially a shower device to take that and then discharge it over the side instead we were initially a little bit skeptical about applying that technology we found a new technology which is more environmentally friendly which you know affords the same economic benefits and then the other advantage of what we're now installing is that it can be eventually retrofitted to capture carbon as well. So uh, capture the economic benefits. Let me unpack that phrase. It's sure. cheaper to run these things because they burn less fuel. Well, uh, yeah. So uh, what you're able to do then is burn the bottom of the barrel instead of the middle of the barrel, essentially. Right. So instead of burning something that probably looks like like diesel or heating oil, you know, that you would call heating oil in the U.S., um, you're able to burn the bottom of the barrel. And, you know, as you said earlier, when you refine a barrel of crude oil, you know, you don't choose what you get. Um, you, you're going to get, among other things, uh, what's called residual fuel oil. And that's something that traditionally has been burned by vessels. Um, with the new regulations, uh, that's, um, that's you know, um, been restricted unless you have a scrubber installed. So it essentially enables you to continue burning that bottom of the barrel, which is going to be there anyway, and somebody is going to burn it. Uh, whether it's power plants, uh, you know, in in the Middle East or you know somewhere like that, so we think you know, so the economics are favorable. Um, actually, it's it's a it's a more efficient fuel, emitting less carbon uh, for for ships. Um, but the issue is so you said well, content. What what is the regulatory body that 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 governs the, these uh, pollution concerns? Yeah, so um, so it's called the IMO. It's an agency of the United Nations, and what they do is they adopt conventions, which then get ratified and uh, and and come into law in uh, in in a majority of countries in the world. You know, most particularly Europe, USA, North Asia, etc. So, for example, once the U.S. Coast Guard and the European Union and Japan, Korea, Australia, places like that start enforcing, you, you have to comply. So it's actually a fairly rigorous uh, compliance uh, regime. And yet we don't have a technology to do the things that we're starting to do on land, like electric vehicles, um, different hybrid vehicles and things. We, you, know, you can't do that in the middle of the ocean. Well, like, um, you know, and you know, so, like, that's, well, like, yeah. like aircraft, like aircraft ships are hard to decarbonize because they operate fairly remotely and you need to carry a lot of fuel on board. And, and so the challenge is, you know, you can use batteries to power a uh, a ferry going across the Hudson or across San Francisco Bay, but to get from you know Tokyo Bay to San Francisco Bay, it's a whole different question. So the challenge is how to find a 
uh, a net net zero carbon or a zero carbon fuel that is energy dense, easy to carry, and can therefore be be used as a kind of a long distance propulsion or so, uh, power source for propulsion for ships. How many years do you think we are away from seeing some sort of standard imposed on the industry around a more uh, greener um, solution? Uh, we think it'll be a while, and we're really unhappy about that. Um, we're we're ready, and most companies are ready to just get on with what needs to be done once we know what the regulations are, um, and once we know that there'll be a level playing field. Because there there are the technology exists, and the fuel is potentially out there. It needs to be produced in scale to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. But the regulations aren't there that are required to level the playing field between that new fuel, let's say methanol, and that heavy fuel oil that we were talking about. And once once that happens, and what will, once that happens, we know what to do. And that's going to be changing a lot in your industry too, because there's going to be a huge expense imposed on all the global shipping companies. Correct, but uh, look, I I think one thing, as I mentioned, is that it's really important to understand that when you build a ship, it's going to last twenty to twenty five years, right? So the process of changing out the whole world fleet does take time. We did that in the tanker business with single hulls to double hulls. And it took about you know 15 or 20 years. So it is a long-term proposition. The sooner we can get on with it, the better. Um, and at this point, um, most of us are really calling for the regulatory agencies to just come up with the regulations and enforce them. Fascinating stuff, a very, Anthony a very political, globally political process, and that's the problem. Well, yeah, and we'll, we'll surely get there. We have to. Uh, yeah. Anthony Gurney, thank you very much. Anthony Gurney is the CEO of Ardmore Shipping. Coming up next on the Drill Down the Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And hey, tell a friend about something interesting you learned in the Drill Down today, or maybe even leave a review on iTunes and Spotify and let's, let the rest of the world know what you like about the Drill Down Podcast. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We're back with the Drill Down Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Ardmore shipping. And I thought the conversation, uh, Isaac, about uh, the black market for tankers that are still serving, illegally serving Russian oil yeah. to the world, the parts of the world that will buy it. Um, and uh, it, what's interesting is that those ships, uh, will uh, they are out there, they're doing that work, they're making money, but they'll probably never go back into production in the rest of the world because they'll be banned from other markets forever. And so it was interesting to, to look into this. And, and uh, if you look at their investor presentations and some of their documents, they actually put a hard number on how many global tankers are now serving the black market for Russian oil. So if you look at all the tankers in the world, would you believe, and here's your number that bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot, 11% of all tankers are now serving the black market for Russian oil. Huh. That, I mean, that seems high. That seems really Yeah. I mean, I guess I would have thought maybe, I don't know, 5%, but even 5% seems high. Well, they're, uh, according to Ardmore, it's 11%. Uh, and there's a company, they, they cited a company called uh, Vortexa that did the research uh, on this. And, and what that means, you know, uh, as we discussed in the interview, with a dearth of new construction and these tankers not coming back into the global fleet, the Ardmore shipping's uh, uh, existing portfolio of ships uh, uh, are likely to be the only game in town or one of the only games in town. And more to that point, 
there's no competition coming. So uh, these guys are in a really strong position. Yeah. You've been listening to Drill Down Podcast. We're glad to have you. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. I'm Corey Johnson. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.